Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, April 27th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. On today's financial show, we're going to dig into a few more earnings reports from small banks. We'll take a look at Travelers Insurance's most recent report to get a better idea of how the insurance industry is handling the current COVID environment. Of course, we've got a couple of stocks for you to watch this coming week. And joining me as always, Certified uh, Financial Planner, Matt Frankel. Matt, how's everything going? Hey, pretty good. Um, Happy Monday to everybody listening. Hope you're having a good weather as we are in South Carolina. (laughs) <laughs> you know, Austin and I were talking about this just before taping. It seems like we're not having that same good weather. Uh, it's It's been kind of rainy here in Virginia the past few days, and it doesn't seem like it's really letting up. But who knows? Maybe this is a sign of uh, of good things to come. Maybe we're getting the bad weather out of the way first. Yeah, well, it's been you know in the 70s and sunny here. It's a night- In South Carolina, you used to live here, right? Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, grew up So, here. you know, generally this time of year, it goes from cold immediately to about 100 degrees. Yeah, (laughs) we're not having that this year, which is a really nice change. (laughs) Yeah, there's normally no spring. You just go right from winter into (laughs) summer, and then it's just like, what happened to spring? But sounds like you're getting a little bit there. That's good. Uh, Hopefully, you're able to get out a little bit during this uh, during this time. Or, I mean, obviously, activity is ground to a halt. Uh, But Matt, last week we talked a lot about the big banks' earnings. Um, You know, the big banks: J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Wells Fargo. How those banks were dealing with the with the current environment here. This week, we wanted to take a bit of a different direction and, and talk about how some of the small banks are doing, because we had a couple of earnings reports that came out uh, for banks that we've covered on the show before. We had Live Oak Bank Shares uh, report, and we also had a Maris Bank Corps uh, report as well. So let's jump right in. Let's talk about Live Oak Bank, and this is a bank that you follow. It's one that I follow, and and um, they they announced earnings, which seemed like a pretty good quarter. We know they have a big focus on small business loans, and I mean it's a tech oriented bank with a pretty low capital structure, so to speak, no physical branches anywhere. Uh, but but talk to us a little bit about about Live Oak's quarter. What stood out to you? Well, yeah, to say that they're a small business lender is kind of like a big understatement. Um, <laughs> they they uh, they originate just to kind of put it in context. They originated 1.3 billion in small in SBA loans, uh, small business administration loans last year. Wow, that was almost double the number two competitor. So they're they're a pretty big deal when it comes to small business lending. They know the process and all that, which is giving them a really good advantage right now, which I'll get to in a second. But just looking at the quarter. Um, I mean, assets are up 30% year-over-year. Deposits are up 32% year-over-year. If you're not too familiar, Live Oak is an an online bank. They're very tech-focused. They have great profit margins on their loans because they're a small business lender. Um, About half of the portfolio is guaranteed by the government because of small business loans, just the nature of the product. Um, Which That's pretty nice. I mean, I wish – I bet – you know, a lot of other banks wish all their loans were government guaranteed and <laughs> yeah. still profitable. Well, there are a lot of them, at least right now, that are having their loans somewhat guaranteed, right? Because of the payment, uh, the, the payroll protection program, and, and other efforts uh, the government is making to keep you know, our economy afloat while it's it's ultimately shut down, right? Right. Well, I, well, Live Oak has that benefit even when we're not in a global health emergency. So that's yeah. you know, it's nice to have. Um, and speaking of the SBA loans. 
we all know the payment uh, paycheck protection program loans. Um, that was three hundred fifty billion dollars of the original CARES Act bill. They just added three hundred ten billion dollars, I believe, to it. Nice. Um, Live Oak is playing a pretty big role in that. Um, they announced that as of their their latest earnings call, they had closed almost five thousand payroll payment. Yeah. Paycheck Protection Plan loans. It's kind of a tongue twister. <laughs> yeah, 5000 though. That's a good number. About 5000 for almost a billion dollars total. Nice. Um, for a small lender, that's pretty impressive. I would say uh, so. To, to do in one quarter. When I, like I said, their SBA loan volume in t- 2019, the whole year was $1.3 billion. Um, so they want uh, investors to know that they are you know, well capitalized. They have about a billion dollars of liquidity. Um, they actually sold some of their existing small business loan portfolio during the quarter just for the purpose of shoring up the balance sheet, um, making sure. Because, I mean, we've mentioned this kind of with the big banks. Uncertainty is the name of the game right now. It's We saw the, uh, all the big banks posted pretty terrible profit numbers because they're building up their reserves in anticipation that you know losses might get pretty bad. Oh, yeah. Um, we're seeing the same thing with Live Oak. I mean, it's obviously on a smaller scale than like a Wells Fargo or something like that. But Live Oak set aside an extra $13 million to cover loan losses. I think they mentioned about a quarter of their um, clients have already requested and received loan deferrals during this. Um, And Live Oak, one thing to really keep in mind is they're a very industry-specific lender. Uh, Veterinary practices is one that they really focus on, just to right. kind of name a specific industry. And, and uh, craft brewers, too, I saw, which, interestingly enough, you know, I've been reading a lot lately about how craft brewers are really running into a, a buzzsaw here. Because I mean, those businesses just rely on traffic, and no traffic, I mean, that, that really puts them between a rock and a hard place. And it, it, They're literally just trying to buy any amount of time that they can. Right. So, that craft brewers is one of their, their big ones that has potential exposure. Uh, hotels, uh, fitness centers are, are two other areas of the business. So it's way too early to predict just how much these businesses will be affected long run. Like I said, they've already deferred most of their loan payments. They've in the troubled industries anyway. And historically, Live Oak has a really good record of making high credit quality loans. Um, their debt charge-off rate was about one-third of what the average big bank was last year. Wow. So... They they have a pretty – sorry, my dog's barking in the background. That's all right, man. We're all um, about keeping it real here on Industry <laughs> Focus. So um, anyway, before he made me lose my train of thought, um, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's way too early to predict uh, what the actual impact will be. Like I said, a lot of these are on six-month deferrals. Whether or not that's going to be enough to get back to normal is a big question mark at this point. My hope is that all the banks are kind of – you know planning for the worst, but in reality, we're not going to get a worst case scenario here when it comes to loan defaults, Right. which eventually the, the procedure in that case would be, you know, some of these reserves would be released over time and would show back up in the bank's earnings. But for the time being, they're being cautious. They're a big, big part of the pay, pay, that paycheck protection plan. Yep. I'm going to say that to myself like 10 times <laughs> after this. The PPP. <laughs> the PPP loans. Um, they're a big part of that. And while that's probably not going to produce a ton of interest income, it will a expand their business relationships and to bring in a nice little stream of fee income. Cause these aren't, you know, fee free loans. They're just yeah. um, forgivable loans that have low interest rates. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, you make a good point there and that while these, these PPP loans aren't 
some big profit driver. I mean, it does a couple of things for them. It, it you know, at number one, it shows that they are able to be a part of the solution. They can be a reliable partner in, in a time of crisis. Um, but also, you know, there there are relationships they can build from those loans. I mean, perhaps uh, borrowers who didn't have a relationship with the bank before. And, and we've seen that, you know, I mean, a lot of borrowers are having trouble with their primary banks getting exposure to that PPP program. And so then they end up having to go to other banks, which ultimately can work out pretty well for those other banks if they can end up bringing that level of service uh, that, that customers really remember. Right. I mean, Live Oak's all about customer service, all about streamlined, easy loan procedures, too, which is another thing that they could kind of showcase to these borrowers. Um, like I said, they're a small business focused lender. So this is what they do. Um, I think they mentioned, I was reading the, the latest conference call transcript, and um, they said something like just one of the small, the SBA's loan programs, the manual's over 500 pages long. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of rules and regulations involved in these. And as the biggest SBA lender before the crisis, they had a lot less, you know, getting up to speed to do as opposed to some of these other banks. So I think this is going to be a net positive in the long run for Live Oak. Yeah, it sounds like going into this. Um, I mean, we obviously liked this business going in, um, given the near-term challenges. You know, I mean, Live Oak isn't the only bank, right? I mean, we're all kind of in the same in the same boat here. I mean, all financial financial institutions are essentially in the same boat. So it sounds like coming into this, and when we ultimately get get out of it, I mean, it sounds like Live Oak is is a, a bank that you still uh, like for the long haul. Is that is that safe? To assume, yeah, and, and oh, for sure. And I mean, thirty percent year-over-year asset growth is a pretty impressive number. Um, yeah. Not that they're going to get that this year, or, or you know, th- have a great profit-wise year. Um, but th- I mean, the stock's down twenty-five percent in, in twenty twenty, and that's a lot better than a lot of the rest of the financial sector. Yeah, that's a good so. Point. I, I mean, the the market's kind of reflecting that they're that I don't want to say the pandemic's going to be good for them, but there it could be a. I mean, the way they are part of the solution could be a positive catalyst for their business. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And you know, we'll pivot over to Ameris Bank Corps and talk a little bit about their earnings report because I think they're very similar theme here with Ameris as as was with Live Oak there. Um, I mean, when you look at the actual numbers, I mean, the, the bank is is it's performing very well. I mean, total assets as of the end of March were at 18.2 billion dollars, which was essentially unchanged from the end of the year. Total deposits of around $13.8 billion. That was a little bit lower than a quarter ago uh, when they recorded just a little bit over $14 billion in deposits. Uh, but, you know, we were talking about that common theme with the big banks and in, uh, in their reports and, and the theme being reserves. Uh, all these banks are really preparing for the coming storm. And, and it sounds like Live Oak was the same way. Certainly Ameris was as well. Uh, their current allowance for loan losses ended the quarter at 149 million. That was up from 38 million at year end, and so you can see they were building up that reserve early on. And I think I think that makes a lot of sense. But you know, the bank is still in a good capital position. If we talk about that PPP program, and, and Ameris has lent 685 million under that program to just under 3,200 customers. And they're going to be participating in the second round here too. They anticipate ultimately the same number of units of loans, so around 3,200 units. Now, the dollar volume might be a little bit lower, but again, it kind of goes back to these smaller community and regional banks are finding ways to 
be a part of the solution. And ultimately, you know, management referred to this on the call uh, for, for Ameris when they were talking about the fact that you know, there are plenty of customers out there where their primary banks were simply not allowing them to, to, to participate in that program. They didn't get there in time, so they weren't able to receive the funding. And so, management has seen this play out. They're getting a lot of non-Ameris customers coming into Ameris's bank looking for help. And in ultimately, Ameris is they're they're proving to be one part of that solution. So you can bring in uh, borrowers who may not necessarily have been Ameris customers from the get go, but but they're finding that you really amp up that customer service. You help these people in need. It creates a relationship there, and 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 it starts to give some of these customers this this idea that hey maybe. You know, maybe maybe the big banks aren't aren't the only solution, right? Maybe there are other opportunities out there. So I think they're seeing Ameris and Live Oak uh, as as two of those types of banks. And uh, you know, I mean, we're seeing again in a very difficult time. The numbers are still holding up for Ameris. Tangible book value at uh, just a little over twenty dollars, and it was just down a tick from the end of the year. So you can see, I mean, the stock today trading around $23, $24. It's been pretty volatile, uh, but it's trading just a little bit over book value today, over tangible book value. But we even saw it take a, t- take a dip under that tangible book value uh, over the quarter, which, you know, I, I again, as a shareholder of Ameris Bancor, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be hanging on to my shares. I really was, was noodling uh, <laughs> buying a few more shares during that dip, but, I, but I'm also trying to be a little bit patient here because I feel like maybe Next earnings season might be a bit more telling because we get a better idea of how bad bad really is. But you know, at the end of the day, you've got a bank here. They have no exposure to oil and natural gas. I mean, you got to love that. They do have some modest exposure to hotels, and they were talking about that in the call. Uh, but but all in all, a very diversified real estate portfolio and the acquisition of Fidelity, that merger. Uh, that that closed recently, I think, is going to be something that gives them a little bit more uh, that, that commercial exposure and diversity that that will ultimately, I think, lead this bank uh, to to many happy days to come down the road here. Especially as we work our way through uh, what is what is obviously uh, just a, a time of crisis for everyone. So yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I think with Live Oak and with Ameris, I think we're seeing a theme here that big banks aren't the only solution. You know, we're certainly seeing small banks, smaller regional banks step up to the plate and show that they've got something to offer here too. And I think that the federal government realizes that, which is why they have the access to these PPP loans and whatever financial aid may come down the road uh, as as we work our way through this uh, coronavirus crisis. Yeah, I, I, you make a good point about not putting too much stock in the first quarter numbers and that second quarter is going to be the most telling. I mean, like we said with the big banks, January and February were, you know, largely pretty normal in terms of yeah. the U.S. economy. Yeah. Um, I know when I was up there in February, the coronavirus was a thing, but it wasn't, you know, there weren't shutdowns. There wasn't, you know, we we were at HQ that that day, and it wasn't really a thing yet. So you're seeing one month of kind of sort of having an effect in the first quarter. The second quarter is going to be really interesting in that regard, and I mean, I will say I wish I had bought shares of both of those in mid-March when they were, you know, <laughs> trading for like a few, few, like you know, all banks were trading for pennies on the dollar at one point. Yeah, yeah, so, they were. And um, I mean, I think we may see those days again. It's certainly very possible. Now, I mean, I think that this quarter really shines a light on how 
healthy these banks really are, right? So maybe we don't see the market react quite so negatively based on these these reports that we saw this this past quarter. I mean, I think they've they've proved their mettle a little bit here over this past quarter, and and I think that uh, we'll we'll probably continue to see the same as the year plays out. I think. You know, if the opportunity arises for either one of these two banks, I think that's going to be because of a of an overarching theme that's playing out on the overall economy, as opposed to just playing out on smaller banks in particular. But I do think that we're seeing, um, you know, this this play out here where these smaller banks are are certainly stepping up and providing big solutions for not only their current customers but for customers that they never had before. So, I mean, I, I you said earlier when we were talking about Live Oak, it's we're not saying that coronavirus is a good thing for these banks. I mean, it's it's simply not a good thing at all. But you can also see how this is going to be an opportunity for these banks to to not only grow their customer base, but but really to gain more credibility, to gain more respect in the overall banking environment and in showing that that big banks are the aren't the only aren't the only solution in town and I think that with Live Oak and with Ameris I mean these are two banks that you and I like a lot um and I think when you look over these numbers for the quarter it makes a lot of sense as to why we like them I you know I think it's going to be a little bit tough in the near term but I think these are two banks that will certainly emerge from this time ultimately in better shape and I think they're creating a lot of long-term goodwill with a lot of people yeah, no, I would definitely agree with that. And the second quarter is going to be an interesting one, yes, as you just will. said. Yes, it will. Well, before we continue, just a reminder for all of you out there looking for more stock ideas that now's a great time to check out our Stock Advisor service, where you'll get stock recommendations from David and Tom Gardner every month. You get Best Buys now, and you get a whole lot more. And why is it a great time? Because if you go to if.fool.com, you can take advantage of a special 50% discount for our industry-focused listeners. That's right, you, our listeners. So, make sure to check it out at if.fool.com. Okay, Matt, pivoting away from banks for a few minutes because we saw another big financial company out there uh, report earnings recently, but this is the insurance space, uh, another space that you and I like to follow closely. Travelers Insurance, the big red <laughs> umbrella. They reported earnings, and I, you know, going through the release, going through the call, I, I, I leave. I leave this quarter feeling cautiously optimistic that Travelers is is one of those strong companies that will emerge from this in a stronger position. But you know, I, I will tell you, Matt, when I when I read through that call, I left with this just this concern. It feels like to me the biggest risk for the foreseeable future for these big insurers is ultimately going to be COVID-related litigation. It sounds like it sounds like the litigation has already started. And it sounds like the litigation may only grow in time. And ultimately, that litigation is going to be revolving around uh, coverage, right? Insurance companies may be not necessarily covering virus-related losses based on the language in the contracts. Now, I'm not a lawyer. I, I, won't, even, I won't even pretend uh, to, to, go, to go down that rabbit hole, so to speak. But I do, I do know insurance. I worked at an insurance company, and I understand how that works. And I could see litigation dragging out for a long period of time for all of these big insurers, uh, given given the hardship that everybody um, is feeling today. And that's not to take anything away from how the company performed. I think the company performed very well. Uh, what what did you think about the quarter for travelers? Yeah, I mean the the quarter solid. Like like we just said, the Feb, January February were pretty normal. Um, they had uh, they said eighty six billion dollars worth of COVID nineteen related charges. 
which is not that big of a number for travelers in the grand scheme of things. Um, but just kind of to echo what you were just saying, we, we mentioned, I think, with one of the other insurers that a lot of insurance policies uh, – we were talking about business interruption the other the other show right? Um, about, I think, one of the mall REITs. Yeah. And a, a lot of uh, business interruption policies and, you know, work, workers' compensation policies and underemployment policies, things like that, specifically have language that exclude anything related to a virus. Um, th- that's a big issue with some of these, these uh, retailers who are having business interruption. Um, so the on-the-call travelers CEO pretty much made it clear that they don't foresee anything changing retroactively with that. In other words, they're, they don't think anyone's going to really have success adding virus coverage into a policy that specifically – excluded viruses right but that's not to say people won't try <laughs> well said, but yeah i mean it's 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 kind of it's not just the virus right it's talking about i mean the virus is the reason why we've ultimately been shut down but the shutdown was more or less implemented by by regulators by the government so the argument could be made that it's not virus it's not a virus loss but it's it's you know a regulated loss and i think that's maybe where that's where that litigation gets really murky, and I'm I'm, I'm with you in that I I, I feel like that's the bur- the burden to, to make that argument is is pretty high, but you said it. I mean, it's not going to stop people from trying, right? And um, so I mean, and there's a lot of other kind of interesting dynamics in travelers' business because as you know, they they write insurance in a wide range of of of, of the insurance business. Oh yeah. Um, just for example, their auto insurance business, uh, they're giving a 15% rebate in April and May because people aren't driving right now. Yeah. They're probably still coming out ahead in that. I mean, I'm, I'm driving a lot more than 15% less than I, you, you know, I mean, I think, I think my, I, I haven't put gas in my car since March. I'm with you. And then that was a neat point they made on the call there and being able to offer those rebates. Um, but by the same token, they're not seeing the same level of losses because people simply aren't driving as much. You're not right. going to see as many high-speed accidents. So so they can afford to give those rebates because those losses aren't going to be there as they would be in normal times too. Right. So the company said that there will be some COVID-19 losses. We already saw some, like I just mentioned, in the first quarter. But they said that their exposures will also decrease somewhat as well. And auto is you know probably the most easy-to-understand example of that. You know, They're going to have some COVID-19 losses, but exposure like you know fewer less driving means fewer auto accidents they have to pay out and things like that so it's a big question like i said uncertainty is the name name of the game here so it's a big question as whether the covid-19 losses or the reduced exposure wins in the end and whether or not the net losses or the net gains are gonna you know move one way or the other um you know, the, the loss ratio, as they put it in the insurance business, whether that's going to be higher or lower as a result of this, right. because those are two kind of competing dynamics here. Um, the company said they're going to make expense adjustments accordingly, so they're not worried too much about the impact. Um, I mean, insurance companies deal with assessing risk and handling s- unknown situations. Obviously, this is an unprecedented crisis, but in terms of the impact to an insurance company and them navigating through this, is it really that much different than a major hurricane or, or I don't know, whatever? Or, you well, know, post- yeah, the hurricane, they talked about tornado season, tornado season or pending a, a, or wildfires. I mean, there's there's a litany of opportunities for loss out there. This, this is clearly another one, but probably, probably something that's not going to occur with the consistency of something like a tornado season or a hurricane season either. Right. So, I mean, it's... 
it's an unprecedented situation in and of itself, but insurance companies are really good to nav- at navigating this. And like I said, there's a lot of things that are going to hurt the insurance companies and a lot of things that are going to help the insurance companies. Like, like I could go on from auto insurance, but there's a, like, you know, I mean, workers comp claims, fewer people are getting hurt at work. Yeah. Um, so that's something that's going to be, you know, lessen exposure. Yep. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out for the rest of the year. Yeah, it'll be one that we follow for sure. I mean, Travelers being one of the, one of the majors out there, um, I've I, I got to believe that they're going to be pretty well prepared going into this. They have a tremendous fixed income portfolio that uh, should should help them should help them get through this as well and protect them from some of that market volatility. Uh, real quick, Matt, I know you got to go. What is the stock you are watching this coming week? Yeah, sorry, I got to. I, I got to stop early because uh, Dan Klein uh, voluntold me to be on full TV with him this afternoon. <laughs> voluntold. Uh, <laughs> I'm watching Berkshire. Um, I know I've mentioned that one a couple times in this, but this week is going to be especially interesting, not just because they're having a fully online meeting for the first time ever. Um, obviously, I was supposed to go to Omaha, but <laughs> I, so obviously that's not going to happen. Uh, online meeting is being live streamed on Yahoo Finance. That morning, however, they're releasing their first quarter earnings, and we'll get a first look at how Berkshire's cash hoard was affected by the first quarter. If you see that number go down, you could bet that Buffett had a pretty active quarter buying stocks. I'm hoping it went down. My Pretty much my whole investment thesis with Berkshire is that he's really good at, at putting money to work at the right times. Well, March was I, one of the right times, so I, I want to see that he put some money to work. I think that's probably a pretty safe bet, but yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Um, in line with the insurance, I'm going to be keeping an, uh, an eye on Markel. Their uh, earnings report comes out on Wednesday, uh, focusing a lot on the same kinds of things we focus, focused on with travelers. It's less about the, pa- the the past quarter, more about how they see the rest of the year unfolding and how how uh, you know it, it's going to look towards the, the lines of coverage that they write. It, it'll be exceptionally interesting for them because they are such a specialized uh, underwriter. But yeah, certainly Mark Hell will be another one on our radar. Uh, those earnings on Wednesday. So, with that, Matt, I know you got to get going. I appreciate you taking the time out this week, and maybe you can kick some of that good weather down there in South Carolina up our way. I hope so, and I hope I can come up there myself with it too. <laughs> well, soon enough, soon enough, right? Glass half full. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's going to do it for us this week, folks. Remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus, or you can drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to our man Austin Morgan for keeping it real behind the Zoom. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.